Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Again, so happy you could join me on this uh, Halloween Eve uh, podcast. It's going to be spooky now. Try to take the spookiness out of safety. Try to make it manageable, make it behavioral, make it something that's built into your culture. That's <laughs> that's the goal, right? So, um, as always, we're going to start things off, or at least as it has been here, not as always, but always seems like here recently, since I've rebooted the podcast, at least talking about COVID-19. What are we doing in the safety world? How are we changing? And came across some really good information um, this week that I want to share. This one here came from a, a legal news, kind of like a legal news blog, and I really thought it was good because the whole thing was has OSHA done enough with COVID-19? And in most cases, people are so fast to criticize, and that's human nature, let's be honest. It's so much easier to point at someone and go, man, look at what you could have done, uh, Monday morning quarterback, whatever you want to call it. It's really easy when you're looking back on history, when you're looking back at anything that you've done and to criticize it, to look at how you could have done that better. But just because you could have done that better, given the information you were in at that moment, given your scope of view, given what you had at that time, did you do what you thought was right? Did you do enough? Did you do what you could have done? So many times in my career, and I'm going to take a tangent here right off the bat. Usually I save the tangents for later, but today we're going to, <laughs> going to go early. But so many times in my career, um, in a lot of different industries, this isn't related to just any industry or with any problem-solving event. It is so easy for someone that's separated from the event to look back two days later, one day later, and point a finger and go, why didn't you do this? Why weren't you prepared 12 months ago for this? Why did you not do that yesterday? Um, I remember one in particular was an automotive. And someone's hand slipped uh, and cut themselves. And a lot of it was related to the shape of the racking. And we had tons of whip. So we tried to be as lean and one piece full as possible. But the way that the metal pieces came in... Um, they came in in large batches off of a truck because you had to batch them and bring them off a truck. And the, the carts were reusable. You just hung the item on this cart and you would pull it off. It had a hole in it, so you could pull it off kind of uh, like sliding something off of a rack at a grocery store at a, a shopping place where you just pull it off of the little pen like on a corkboard. And so they were pulling it off and one slipped out of their hand and it was 
it was interesting because the shape of the bar was too curved. So when you lift it up high enough, your wrist kind of got into a really awkward position and then you could lose your grip. And there's no telling how many times, thousands of times, this rack came in and out of the building, back and forth between the vendor to us, the vendor to us. Never caught it. And suddenly someone gets hurt, unfortunately, um, because of this awkward angle. It, it was like, what on earth are you guys doing? How could you not have found it? How could you not have seen it? How could you not have known? And it's like, now that we know, we're going to fix it. But at that moment, we didn't. And it's easy to look back at history and say, why didn't you do enough? So this article was refreshing from the standpoint that it actually defends OSHA from a standpoint of what they've been doing. And they have been working it. It's not like they're sitting back, rocking back on their heels. They're working it the best they can. And they point out the very first thing that OSHA's the only sheriff in town. If you want employee protection for COVID-19 and you're looking for regulations and how that's going to be done, how that's going to be enforced, how that's going to be educated, it's OSHA. It's all you got. That's who's enforcing it. And so it looks at the idea that, look, they're the only game in town. And are they funded appropriately? Are they staffed appropriately up to this point? Were they to handle the workload that they had? Not really. I mean, in defense of them, they they have trouble getting everywhere they need to get to handle every complaint they have on a normal day. And then we interject COVID, which has become huge, huge from that standpoint. They can't keep up. They couldn't keep up before, but they're the only game in town. They're the only sheriff that's looking at this law and trying to help. So to criticize them from up on high for what they have or have not done, especially without resources, we want them to do more with less. And that's the, that is the greatest fallacy, the greatest logical fallacy in safety is that it can lean up to the point and that just because you're good means that you can lean it up. What good means in safety is that you keep getting better by adding more to it. You can't get safe by taking away. You can only get safer by putting more. So whatever effort you're putting in right now to get the result you're getting, you need to put more effort, more resources to take it up a notch. And then once you're better, if you're happy with that, you've got to maintain that resources. You can't reduce the resources and expect it to continue to get better. You have to increase the resources to make it get better. Other people have to take on the responsibilities of that safety guidance. And so for anyone to set up on high and go, well, we can reduce it. We can get more for less in the safety world, in the behavioral world, in the people world. Mm -mm, not going to happen. Doesn't happen. That's not real life. It looks, it can be managed from a spreadsheet. If you want to do slash and burn accounting, all right, it works. It doesn't work in real life. We have to be more than that. And so they talk through the idea that it's back to basics, guys. It's really about, are we protecting from the bloodborne pathogen standards? Are we reporting it correctly? And if we're reporting it, are we investigating it? As we're supposed to, that was the whole goal, is that if we have to report it, that we're investigating it. And then, are we following our PPE standards? We have guidance out there right now from scientific authorities that tell us what PPE can help and what processes can help reduce the effect of COVID-19 and prevent infection. Are we following it? And so it's back to, and this is what I've argued for years, 
is we don't need more in safety. We need to follow what's already there first. And isn't that a great lean principle? That the first thing when something happens that you don't want, you go back and look at were we following our standard? If the answer is yes, we were following the standard, then we need to revise the standard. But if we were not following the standard, then it wasn't the standard's fault. It was the process that led us to follow that standard. So if we walk into an organization and there's high COVID reporting and there's high infection rates of some form and no one is wearing masks, we don't need a new mask law. We have a personal protective equipment law that's already there in place that can be cited. We don't need more. We need to get back to the basics. Really like this article. Again, from J.D. Supra. Um, Whatever happened to OSHA? Um, COVID-19. Shout out to that one for that writing. Really nice. And then, of course, you jump into the other news articles from other places, and it's like, where was OSHA during the meatpacking crisis? Why were they not involved in helping with that? Well, we're starting to see some fines come out of it. They're doing their job. It's just they've had to catch up. They've had to get more involved. They've had to jump in there. And, of course, there's going to be those arguments that they weren't doing everything they should. And then on a sadder note, uh, something that this one really caught my attention, and it says here, and this is out of Michigan, so this came out of a Michigan newspaper, that the majority of Michigan workplace deaths this year have been linked in some form to COVID-19. 19 of the 37 workplace deaths since January of this year has been related to COVID. And of course, the majority, uh, 10 of the 19, are healthcare nurses, nursing assistants, therapists. And that was where we should have been protecting them first. And there was calls for protecting them first. And that, looking back at it, there was guidance years ago of how we should have been prepared in the medical industry for epidemics such as this. And I'm curious to wonder how prepared those places were and how much guidance they followed and what will happen because of that. But it shows that in certain sectors, we needed to be more prepared. And we needed to be on top. Again, we don't get more by providing less in safety. Um, when it comes to quality, when it comes to cost, when it calls for production, there's times you can get more for less. You can put, <laughs> you can lean it up. And safety, when we talk about lean, it's about making a good process. And it's about in reinvesting and maintaining that investment because you can't let off. It's like a gas pedal on a car. If you let off the gas, you're slowing down. You got to keep pushing the gas down if you want to go faster. And in this case, that's some staggering numbers to think about, especially being in the healthcare and looking at the healthcare industry and how much they provide for us and how much protection we need to be providing. And then out of Oregon, um, something we kind of talked about before together is that it looks like we're seeing what we're going to see, and that's that they're already calling for 2021 workers' comp costs to increase. We've had some good years of decrease um, in the past few years, and now overall we're going to see them increase because they're getting ready. We don't know how COVID is going to affect our workers' compensation rates or the laws that are including all like different types of COVID claims. So in Oregon, they're already saying, look, 2021, be ready, maybe up to a 9 to 10% increase in workers' compensation costs because of what they're seeing from, from COVID-19. 
So that's um, we certainly will continue to watch COVID-19 issues and we have to focus on how do we continue to evolve our safety programs and improve our safety programs during this time. More podcast in just a moment. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, happy you've joined me on this uh, pre-Halloween edition of the podcast. So the news this past week was interestingly loaded with, um, like, distribution. Like, interesting articles about uh, different very large workplaces that are in the distribution world, the e-commerce or even brick-and-mortar store buildings. And OSHA's work or any type of fines associated with those. And I really do normally try not to talk about names. I just, I don't believe by pointing a finger at any organization, does that make them better? There's something we can learn from all of this. We all can see that, hey, this is, as a safety professional, we're always wanting to learn. None of this is a trade secret. None of this should be. We should be trying to learn and help each other because we're all learning. We're all still trying to discover, like, as the workplace evolves, how do we get better? How do we find new ways of of getting items to customers? We're in a new world here. It's not just putting it on a shelf anymore. It's truly like getting it on a truck efficiently and getting it to a customer at home in some cases. But this, this one company here in particular, um, half a million dollar in fines. Now, as far as the size of this company is concerned, half a million is is large when you look at it, but not insurmountable. And that's another thing that sometimes, is it cheaper to pay the penalty? I hear that sometimes. It's cheaper to pay the penalty than to do it right. And that's horrible because this isn't, this isn't a speeding ticket. This is people's lives. This is the, their ability to go home and enjoy their life outside of work. This is their ability to do things and have a hobby by not being hurt, by following OSHA. Um, and OSHA's the minimum. It's the law. It's not going above and beyond. It's not improving. It's not creating a system that helps it better. Um, but what happened was, again, so many times that they were running behind, and so they didn't create any type of egress or entry issues. 
So what does that mean in a warehouse? It means they were blocking the doors. They were dropping stuff wherever they needed to drop it to get it closer to wherever it needed to go. And if that meant an emergency exit, tough. That's where it's got to go right now. That's not acceptable. That's not the way we are supposed to be doing things. Um, needed additional capacity um, instead of overstocking. So here's something that is interesting in that world that you can read about. There's articles out there about it. Is that in most cases, there's a computer out there that says this place can hold this cubic foot of product. And the the system is not... Some, they're evolving. They're getting better. We have some really intelligent engineers out there who are working on these issues. But currently, a lot of the systems don't like take into account the oddity of a size. Like, what if it's L-shaped? What if it's a weird box? I mean, think about all the different boxes and those shapes and sizes. They're not all perfect cubes. Uh, sometimes they're cylinders. Sometimes they're not wrapped. But it only can take into account this calculation of cube space. And so it'll keep sending things to places. It'll just say, hey, that place seems to have storage. And that stuff needs to go there or near that area. Ship it on. And so instead of putting the stop button or throwing up the sign that says, hey, we don't have room anymore, because sometimes your your acceptance rate is affected. And that's a metric they can look at is how much stuff did we accept? How much stuff did we bring in to our locations? And if you're not hitting your targets that are assigned for you, then naughty, naughty, you're in trouble. And so what they did was they just kept accepting stuff. And here part of the agreement was that they would quit, that they would have that, that hey, stop, we're full. We're having to put stuff in places it doesn't need to go. So they got to put a stop to that. Um, they need to monitor more. <laughs> to just verify your exits are clear. Do a walkthrough. I love using a safety committee for this. Have them walk around, and every time there's an exit, they have a radio. They're radioing for somebody to, we get another exit, and they're reporting that. How many exits did I see blocked today? And you take that right to your senior leadership, and you, you astound them with either, hey, we had a really good day. Good job, everyone. And maybe that's the high-five day. Well, you can't high-five in COVID, but you stand around, you applaud as people are leaving and say, hey, you had no exits blocked. Thanks for that. And I had a great experience um, on my first week working at a company that did warehousing. They didn't they didn't experience thing where you go out and you you you're you're on the job for the day. And being a new person, they don't know who you are. <laughs> they don't know if you're the safety guy. They don't know if you're a um, they don't know if you're just a regular person coming in to do the job for the rest. Unless you announce yourself, I didn't announce myself. I wanted to be treated just like somebody who came in off the street and started working. And the person that was leading the stand-up meetings um, during lunch came back and said, guys, I did a walkthrough um, while you were at lunch, and there's a couple exits blocked. I got them unblocked during your lunch, but we, we can't do that. I don't want to see that happen because that's your way out of here. And he explained it, and he didn't, he didn't know me from anyone else. He didn't know the safety guy was in there. The new safety manager was right there listening to him. But he took it upon himself that he knew that was something he could control. That was something that was small, but made a big difference. And he went and did that. Loved it. I thought that was fantastic that he talked about the exits. Um, once he knew who I really was, I applauded him for that. Um, but that's good. That was someone taking that initiative. And that's something simple. It's something easy. It's something you can go out there and you can do that. Um, you can get a few steps in and you can get it done. Um, 
you can get it done just pretty quick. So I, I thought that was really nice. And that's something that they're having to agree to do as part of this settlement process. And then, of course, look at other citations that were out there. And then here is one out of Washington State that said that they're looking at um, potentially reclassifying one company in particular to its own category because the injury rate is so high at this one company that it offsets all the other companies in the similar job classification code. Whoa. Now, of course, when you're a big company, you get big views. That's part of it. But for something like that, and this one here was reported to the Seattle Times, and again, I'm not going to say a name, but anyone can guess Washington State, Seattle Times, big company, well, who they're going after. But to say that the state wants to reclassify them into their own job code because they're messing up everybody else's job code that does similar work? I don't know. I think there's a better... Again, we'll go back to my first part of the, the, the podcast here that we talked about. It's not about more in this case. We don't need more legislation. We need to follow what we have. We need to enforce the things that we're doing. So that's the first step. we got to do that first. And I think that's going to be part of it. But that's interesting to see that that's something they want to talk about. That, hey, well, we just reclassify them... And then their job rate, they won't look so astronomical. Now, that could be a good thing on the other part. That say, hey, we're, we're average for our industry because we're the only one in that industry. So we're average. We're good. No. And that goes back to sometimes you can get really too focused on numbers. And we are, we are a numbers world. Uh, companies are based on numbers. And we have to sometimes get back to the basics of safety. That every one of those injuries is a person. And their life is affected. Now, of course, there's always, we as safety people see it both ways. We see those people who come into us that desperately need assistance. And it's real. It's, and then we see the other side of it, too. We see the good. We see the bad. And we remember our extremes. But at the end of the day, every injury is a human being. And, and that's one of the big burdens of a safety professional, too. When you really get down to it is, what could you have done more? And I struggle with that. And that's, I guess, part of the life of a safety professional is, what more could you have done? And I think we have to keep everybody's focus on that. Because sometimes it's not the individual. It's, it's organizational. It's, it's cultural. And how do we evolve that? And you can't just say, oh, we're average for our industry and, and accept that. You got to look at the idea that how do we really help prevent human harm? And if we're working every day to do that, if we're truly looking at it and saying we're we're coming in today to prevent something from happening to someone that could hurt them, you know what? You're doing what you should be doing. You're trying to make that improvement because you don't go from zero to one hundred overnight, and you don't become great overnight. It's a process. It's a culture, and that takes time. And the final thing that I found interesting this week is New Jersey has a, uh, a bill going in, A1708 going in, medical workers' comp coverage for medical marijuana. Wow. I, I don't know. The implications of that would be so interesting for a fit to work versus what workers' comp has prescribed. And that would almost, to me, have to be lost time. I'm not sure that we would let that happen at a, at a level. I think you'd have to put them off work. I wonder, though. Curious. If you've got comments on that one, let me know, because that's going to be interesting. Don't know if it'll pass. 
I have a hard time thinking that it would, because I think just the details would be so difficult to perform overall. I think that'd be very hard. Interesting, though. Curious to see if any other states will follow suit on that one. And if it's just really just a matter of time before this really becomes something. So anyway, again, this was the Halloween Eve podcast. If you're going out trick-or-treating, if you're allowed to, if you're able to, even if, I don't know, it's so, it's so different everywhere. But either way, make sure that you're seen. Make sure that you're looking at that candy for your kids. For, if they have any allergies, you want to be careful. And carry a flashlight, be in groups, socially distance, wear that mask if you need to. But, you know, follow those safety precautions. If you're going to be out, be safe. And until next time we uh, chat, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast.